Welcome, welcome to episode three of the Crave the Book podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Grace's welcome party to Catmere Academy and everybody's favorite strawberry scene with Jackson, along with some of our personal conflicts with mating bonds and how we feel about those. So guys, we hope that you enjoy the episode. Let's get started. All right, guys, welcome to episode three. So if you're new here, a couple little quick things that you should know. Uh, first of all, you can take us pretty much anywhere. Stick us in your pocket. Uh, listen to us through headphones. Listen to us in the car, because I believe that we are now on Spotify. You can ask your Alexa and your Echo to play us. We're on Amazon Music. We're on Google Podcasts. Um, and a bunch of other ones. I think the only ones that we're not on yet are Pandora and Apple Podcasts. But by the time you are listening to this, maybe we will have been approved for Pandora because that's the one that we're really waiting on. So that's that out of the way. Guys, in our next episode, in exactly one week, we are going to be starting a huge Crave-themed giveaway. Super duper exciting. We're giving away an exclusive Catmere Academy themed hoodie. Uh, if you're watching this from YouTube, there's actually, it should be on the screen right now. So if you guys are interested in seeing it, feel free to check the YouTube channel. But we're giving away a hoodie. It's got gargoyle wings on the back. It says Luder's coach on the back. It's, it's super cute. And you're only going to be able to get it via the giveaway. We're not selling them. Uh, there's also going to be a Catmere Academy blanket and a journal as well, a little bullet journal. So that's really exciting. There should be some other giveaway goodies as well from uh, Entangled Teen. Not quite sure what they're giving away yet, but we will have to talk about it a little bit more next week. So just make sure that you tune in to episode four and we will cover everything that you need to do in order to enter that giveaway. But before we get started with the podcast, as always, we have a memo to our new listeners. So Amber, you want to take it away? Absolutely. So if you are halfway through reading Crave and you don't want to get any spoilers, just make sure to listen out for the wolf howl. And that will mean that we're about to head into spoiler territory. So close off the podcast you're welcome to come back at any point but after that noise we will be discussing sort of fan theories our own insights into crush and covet and also maybe some spoilers we might have heard about courts what we think might are going to happen all of the things that you probably want to steer clear of if you're still enjoying the book and you don't want any surprises Absolutely. And you can always come back and watch the rest of this later. So don't feel obligated to get anything spoiled. We don't want to ruin the story for you. Just come back when when you're ready to. But uh, Amber, offhand, do you remember what chapters we're covering? I believe it's 8 through 11 or 8 through 10? 8 through 11. So we are just getting to Leah in the library. Got it. Got it. Got it. So it's party night. It is time. Yeah time to party because Macy has just informed Grace that there will be a party in celebration of her arrival, which sounds like an absolute nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's we're both we're both so introverted. (laughs) We're like, no, no, thank you. Everybody look at me. 
Yeah, and especially <laughs> after after everything that happened the night before where poor Grace was nearly dragged out into the snow by Mark and Quinn, and she's already traumatized. She's had a terrible experience with Jackson, and, and he licked blood off of his finger, and all these weird things are happening, and surprise, now you get to meet the rest of the crazy psycho uh, supernatural school. <laughs> yeah and it's disguised as a as, as a party that they have every other month or something for like student relations so that they learn to get on with each other better that's that, that's a terrible idea for a party yeah the student unity meeting probably the the human shouldn't be the focal point of the student unity meeting the student, no. the tea party, you know, especially it's since like, it's obvious that all of the students were briefed on, uh, what not to talk about and what not to do while Grace is there. Because, uh, you, obviously we said we wouldn't talk about spoilers, but I'm sure you guys know by now that this is not a normal boarding school. And if so, you probably haven't seen the cover of the book. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like what what this party needs is more feuds. Oh, absolutely. We've already got kids crammed into every corner of the room in their own little factions. What we need is something for everyone to argue about. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all and it's all nuanced as well. No one actually knows what the arguments are about. They just hate each other. Well, I mean, is this that's kind of what a race war is, isn't it? I mean, that's, yeah, it's that, like, that's what poor this... Grace is like stepping through a minefield and she doesn't know who to talk to, who to trust, who's going to let slip something. I mean, she, I think she spoke to at least three people who almost gave the game away. It and, was the worst idea for a party. And it reminds me, so there's a scene, I believe in, let's see, what's it in? I believe it is in uh, the first Breaking Dawn Part 1 where they're at Billy's house and um, Sue Clearwater is there and Jacob comes in and uh, is asking about Bella and there's all this tension between like the werewolves and they're waiting to find out if Bella has been turned but Charlie's over for dinner and Charlie's just oblivious sitting there waiting for his dinner. And that's how I feel about Grace <laughs> in this moment where she's just like, oh, a party, yay. When in reality, everyone's- Blissfully ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but before she gets to the party, we get our very first encounter with the shocking curtains. Um, there's mm -hmm. a lot of significance to this scene that, you know, I, di I didn't really catch- during my first it was a throwaway scene. Yeah, because because Grace touches them and she doesn't get shocked. And, you know, I'm just thinking that maybe the shocking curtains are on the fritz. <laughs> and also, why why do they need shocking curtains? Yeah, there what's what's the purpose for the for the shocking curtains? Why do we need shocking curtains? And Macy's like, well, just duh, they're pretty. They're pretty. That's why <laughs> I need them. I mean, my idea of beaded curtains is such a 90s thing that you would have in your bedroom and it would be the worst idea in the world. Yeah, like some no like one, hippie curtains. No one wants, yeah, no one wants beaded curtains. <laughs> you got the, the beaded curtains, the black light fuzzy posters with like psychedelic scenes. I can, I could see Macy's room. Lava being lamp. Like that. 
<laughs> but see, the the reason for for beaded curtains is so that you get the breeze and you get the light, but also you don't get like parasites and vermin and insects coming in because the beads kind of form a barrier. Well, I so mean, then my brain went, oh, it's a threshold. Is now Macy has a regular door though, right? Is it just yeah. the curtain? It's curtain over a normal door. Because all the other rooms have normal doors. They're just all decorated. Macy's just happens to be the most decorated. Yeah. Because one of the other doors has like wind chimes hanging out front. And bats. And bats, yeah. And Grace <laughs> is like, I wonder if they just like Batman. I, I've never seen bats on something and thought, oh, that person must like Batman. <laughs> no. That's uh, like that's not the that's not the connotation I have with bats. <laughs> so, um, Amber, when when Grace gets downstairs back to back to the actual party that she absolutely didn't want to go to, I mean, she's afraid her boobs are going to fall out of the dress. She's very uncomfortable. Macy's telling her she looks fine, um, which you know sounds I, like every Thursday night for me. Yeah, you, I have never related to Grace so much. Than when she talks about like pulling the dress down over her her wide hips and her boobs falling out and being afraid that she's gonna have a, a wardrobe malfunction. Like most of the time when you read a female character, they're they're just described as being like perfectly stick straight. And yeah. not that there's anything wrong with that, but we seldom get like that that curvy, afraid my boobs are gonna pop out female character. So I I was just like, ha ha. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I bought a a dress for this wedding that's coming up, and I showed Scott on this on my phone. It's like, oh, this is the dress I've chosen. He went, bit risky. <laughs> I was like, thanks. <laughs> Gotta have a lot of danger. Now, yeah, now now I'm gonna be self conscious the whole day. Okay, do not do not bend over. Do not tip over. Do not, <laughs> that's uh, do, not do anything. I feel like that's Grace every time she has an encounter where she has to wear a dress in in the books. Yeah. Other than like, do other- not move. Yeah, don't don't move, don't spill out, don't tip. <laughs> but <laughs> when she actually gets downstairs, um, and we've got all these groups, these little factions and cliques kind of divided out into each section of the room. I know that when I first read it, I did not I was not able to recognize what all of the cliques were. Um because I mean in my mind, I'm like, okay, we've got like the grungy rock stars. They probably smell like cigarettes because they're all wearing band tees and, and, and I, I know that she said shorts, I think, <laughs> but I still back I'm, to the jorts, <laughs> back to the jorts. It's just twilight has ruined, um, has ruined that look for me. It will always just be the jorts, which thankfully I think jorts are, well, I actually, that's not thankfully, but unfortunately jorts are back in so we have to deal with that again but then we've got um what was the next what was the next faction she described it was it was the banties and jorts and i think then then she sees flint's team yeah flint's flint's group where everybody is uh exuding money yeah they're and they're all relative and they're all warm and ca- they're very casual. They they seem to be, they're not quite in banties and jorts, but they're also not in suits either. They're they're more casually dressed. They're a little bit more 
laid back, which is honestly, if, if I were to choose one of the groups to go chill with, I think that Flint's group would be the one that I would most likely walk up to. And you, would have, you wouldn't have to wear a jumper then, because you'd be nice and toasty. Nice and toasty. Could get apparently. some marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. Just sit there all warm, and you're like, yeah. And, you know, I look, I feel like with my appearance... I, I feel like I would fit into Macy's crowd because they've all got like the colorful, extravagant outfits and piercings and fun hair. But at the same time, I feel like Macy's crew, like, uh, especially, um, God, what's her name? The really, the one who is really mean to Grace. Simone? Simone? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like Macy's group, with a few exceptions, they're, they're just kind of, I'm not a big fan. I, I'm not a big fan of, of her little, her little group. And not to mention, uh, and I, I've said this before, I really, really don't like the encounter that, uh, Grace has when she's introduced to Cam. That's the only time during the entire series that I'm not quite happy with macy's response because i know that if i'm getting introduced to a bunch of people that i don't know and i'm feeling kind of uncomfortable and you know my friend introduces me to her boyfriend but then he pulls her onto his lap and starts like nuzzling into her and she's giggling and stops you know interacting with me um might make me feel a little bit weird and i would probably go get a dr pepper too (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel like it was for the first time that Macy isn't at Grace's beck and call. I mean, it, it does mean that she's a bit more of a multifaceted character and that she isn't just obsessed with Grace. That's true. But it does, but it does mean that uh, Grace is pretty much ditched at the f- at the first social party she's ever been in. Well, maybe maybe Macy was hoping that Grace would hit it off with was it. What was was it? Was his name James? Is that was that the other I think guy's it was name? James. James. Yeah, I think it was James. It was a really like boring standard name. Yeah. For no offense to anybody named James. <laughs> no, but like in the rest of the book, there's like such like Jackson weird names. and Flint and yeah. James. <laughs> <laughs> like if if he made it to be a main character, I would have been like, oh, <laughs> James. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, he's he's you know, obviously lurking around, um, trying to spark things up with Grace. I mean, her, she's, she's not having any part of it. And obviously she immediately retreats from that and tries to get away, which is what I would do. But then she's just kind of sensing that he's following her. And that is the most uncomfortable feeling in the world. When you are walking to get away from someone and you don't know if they're following you or not, but you can just sense them behind you. Yeah. And even if they're like a wanted presence, even if they're just not a threatening presence at all, it's still a very uncomfortable feeling to be followed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because and that's that's why, you know, she jumps so much when Flint comes up and, and puts his hands on her shoulders. That's and she whirls around. But um before we get, cause I have a whole thing that I want to talk about with her interaction with Flint. Um, and I've got a couple little fan theories to, to sprinkle in, in our spoiler topic. But there was a lot of fumbling that took place during this, this party. 
there there were so many little spills mostly on on Macy's part because I, I feel like I feel like this this was just not something that should have taken place before Grace knew what was going on. And we've already discussed that there was definitely a moment when Grace first arrived that Finn said that they needed to talk. So maybe Finn thought that by now she would know? Maybe? I don't know. Because even then... Like, Macy could have had that conversation with her. It was almost like everybody kind of just wanted to pass that responsibility onto someone else to have that conversation with her so they don't have to. And I feel like Macy did a really poor job of either giving the idea that this school wasn't quite normal, but saying to Grace, I don't think you're ready for the full truth yet. But here's, here's the lowdown on the things that are the rules. She goes full on like, oh yeah, those flasks, those really suspicious looking flasks are, are just water. It's water. It's water. And I'm like, no, that's the worst thing you could say. There's such a normal thing that she, what if she wanted to go, oh, you've said that I need to hydrate more. Can I have some water? <laughs> And then we have like the, we have the recap, you know, the little, uh, scene of, you know, like breaking Dawn with Bella and her blood sippy cup, because that's how I would picture that. Which, by the way, I know I keep bringing up Twilight. It's hard not to. But during breaking Dawn, part one, where Bella takes a drink out of that cup and you can see the blood like in her teeth. Does that scene make you want to vomit as much as it makes me want to vomit? Yes, it's a, it's a little bit gross. Do I don't think it was necessary. <laughs> I, that's what I picture anytime there's like a, a vampire movie or book or some, you know, they talk about the, any of the drinking scenes. I'm just like, oh, it's all in your teeth. It's like eating Oreo cookies. Like, it's just all crammed in your teeth. Yuck. Uh. Yeah, but if you drink red wine, it doesn't. It doesn't stain your teeth that much. So, well, you uh, know what they say: blood is thicker. Wood blood. <laughs> wood blood really stain your teeth that much? It's to be thick. It's so thick. Ew. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to drink it to find out. Is uh, I don't like it. Um, yeah. Imagine if Macy said, "Look, we're being really gentle with you because we we know that you're you're just here and you just got here." Um, but there are some things that we need to discuss uh, when you're ready. But those those thermists are are off limits. Even that would create a suspicion. So I don't know what she could have said that wouldn't have aroused suspicion. But water was not one of them. Yeah, I think that the best bet. I mean, we've talked about this in our last two episodes. What's the right choice? Is it the right choice to be honest and tell Grace the truth right away? Or because her parents just died, she's in a new place, she's already a very anxious person, is your best bet to wait? Um, I don't think that there's a right answer to that because no matter what, it's going to cause problems. And even if Macy's like, you know, I, you're not going to be able to handle, handle the full truth right now, 
So here's just, you know, what you can handle. If I were Grace, I would be like, no, tell me everything. I need to know everything right now because the thought that there's something going on that is too much for me to handle would make me even more crazy than not knowing at all. And I know, I know that you're the same way. <laughs> yeah. And that would also then open up that conversation anyway. I think that the main difficulty was that no one knew how to start the conversation. So they just didn't. That's true. But if if she said, look, there there are some things that you need to know about this castle. I just, I'll let you know when you're ready. But um, here is, here is the, the least you need to know. Like, for example, don't go out of your bedroom during the night. You might get eaten. Might have been one of the rules, you know, that she could have said. She could have just said, no. we're not allowed to leave our rooms at night. That would have been enough. Yeah, there's a curfew or something. But it's, she didn't. And then therefore, Grace is just going to keep getting into trouble. That's but yeah, if if she had like kind of said that, you go, oh, why is there a curfew? Oh, because something happened last year that meant that students have to be under a bit more of a restriction. There's even a... that would have been fine. <laughs> There's a student out of bed. <laughs> I, I just I feel like they could have done a lot better as a school. Uncle Finn let me down. I mean, it was very um, sudden, too. It, this is like the first time that this has happened. I, I doubt that they ever allow humans into their world unless, you know, unless one of them like falls in love with one, which wouldn't happen until way later. This is a freak scenario. So I doubt anyone really knows how to act. And I think that that's why we're so torn on it, because there is no right answer here. There's no protocol. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> no. Like, we didn't make a binder on this. <laughs> I don't know what to do. But now, next time it happens, next time, then you know, then they'll they'll have a plan because they'll already have an example. Um, yeah. So a lot of fumbling takes place. Obviously, um, we've we've pulled our audience on this before. Most people knew what was up the moment that Macy does her her line of oh you know uh or you know how dra or whatever it was you know dra and then she trails off and has a coughing fit and then she says yeah. dra drastic boys are drastic nice and subtle good good save macy good save <laughs> um but maybe i'm just a dum dum maybe i'm just that naive but i actually didn't I, it went over my head. I accepted it. I was like, oh, yeah, drastic. That, yeah, that's what she said. Like, I I guess I'm just naive. But everybody else was like, hmm, yeah. I mean, there aren't very many words that begin with D-R-A. Don't make me feel even dumber than I already no. feel, Amber. No, I'm, I'm, I'm giving kudos to Macy for coming up with such a random word that began with D-R-A so far. Drastic. Because I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to put in there instead of dragging. I'd be like, dra uh, um, and then I would just sit there just going, dra, and then I'd go, but drab. No, that wouldn't work. <laughs> Boys are drab. You know, they're just, they're drab. They're boring. So uh, everyone here is so boring. <laughs> Um, 
So when when Grace makes her little getaway from Creepy James and Flint reappears and she's super duper relieved to see him. And then obviously Jackson makes his dramatic entry, which, by the way, his entry, uh, film adaptation, I really am excited for that entry. Just the doors flying open. I, like I've said in the past, I, I picture it to look like the Great Hall at Hogwarts and those big wooden doors. And I just picture Jackson pushing those open and them flying and slamming and him filing in with the rest of the order walking behind him. Yeah, we need some dry ice. Oh yeah, yeah. We need we need the music to start. We need we need a close up <laughs> of the like the shiny shoes walking against the floor. A little close up of whatever, you know, Gucci logo he's wearing for the brand endorsement. I want it all because, you know, <laughs> most movies, they do sports cars and things like that and they do that product placement. Gucci needs some product placement as Jackson's walking in. It'll be the most expensive like wardrobe for a teenage film ever. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I think that that's what makes everybody immediately gravitate towards Jackson because it's like he's got the money, he's got the bad boy attitude. And then, you know, there's the creepy strawberry scene that I know you love so much, Amber. I know that's your favorite uh, scene. I hate it. <laughs> I, okay. I think that this is going to be a scene that will either make or break this series as a film adaptation. Because if they do it, like, with quick, shifty close-ups, like, pupils dilating, Grace's pupils dilate, his pupils dilate, little drip of strawberry juice, like, hanging off of his lip. Maybe, maybe Grace, it shoots to Grace's lip and she's biting her lip and then she just fumbles and has to leave the room. I think that it will be a beautiful scene. But if it's like this panned out thing where it's the whole scope of the room and he bites into the strawberry and it just starts drooling all over him, I think that it could go very, very badly. So I have to put so much faith into Universal Studios if, if this truly, truly gets picked up because them purchasing the rights does not mean that there's going to be a movie. It simply means that no one else can make one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the strawberry scene is just going to give me major PTSD. Like, you know, like that cringe. You know, when something happened in your past and you just cringe whenever anything reminds you of that. Just well, like, oh, Amber, no. Amber, what happened? What could, what could oh. give you PTSD about the strawberry scene? It's such an innocent scene. What terrible no. mushroom related incident could have happened? <laughs> I will tell the viewers only once. This is it. You and guys get it once. It does. This is it. I'll never, ever repeat this ever again. And if you guys send me gifts of mushrooms, I no more, no more juicy, juicy details from my private life ever again. No emojis. Every post from now on that we make on it's Instagram, give us, emoji. give us mushroom emojis. <laughs> That'll be the indicator that you know, you know what's up. Okay. So me and my husband met at a mutual friend's wedding. I was a bridesmaid. And he was the chauffeur slash just a guest. Um, 
and I had been flirting with him all day. I had sort of really racked up that sort of, you know, alluring charisma. You know, I, I was playing a little bit hard to get, but I also, I was making sure that my behavior that was nice and n- not, not the kind that would scare anyone away. <laughs> and, uh, there was a little bit of teasing going on because I was at the head table. I got to go and eat first. And we were sat right next to each other. So I went up with my little paper plate and we went to go to the buffet and I filled up my plate with all the things I like. And I went back to my head table and I was like, mm, 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 yes, scotch egg in my face. And a scotch egg in England is a either a boiled egg or just scrambled egg in a ball covered in, in sausage meat and then breadcrumbed. And I put it into my mouth. And as I was putting it into my mouth, he went, no, 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 that's a garlic mushroom. And I was like, no, it's not. It's a scotch egg. And I bit into it. And all the garlic mushroom juices just dribbled down my chin, (laughs) dripping into my cleavage, all over my dress. Uh, It was the most mortifying experience of my life. And apparently that was when he knew that he wanted to marry me. (laughs) The mating bond was formed. It's so cringy to even remember. So anyone looking for love, the key is obviously biting into a food so that it dribbles all over yourself, whether it be a strawberry, whether it be a mushroom. I mean, realistically, Amber, if it had been a scotch egg, would the result have been any better? Because then you would have just had an egg. It wouldn't have dribbled because there's no yolk. Unless it's like a proper gourmet scotch egg where the yolk is still runny. But no, it was the fact that like garlic is a bad thing to eat if you're trying to um, seduce. To catch it. Yeah. And then just... And then it was all greasy as well because it's not, it's not just like a mushroom. It's like a, a fried mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many memories just putting the shudders so, up my spine. While all of us were reading that, you know, the iconic strawberry scene with Jackson, Amber is rocking back and forth in the fetal position, like <laughs> reliving into a mess, puddly mess, <laughs> reliving a nightmare. <laughs> and then, and then, I mean, at least I end up with my husband out of it. That's so. true. That's true. If if not for that, you may have never, never, you know, yeah. gotten married. I mean, he could to have looked husband. at me and gone, "Ew, <laughs> ew." Well, this this woman has no decorum whatsoever. She didn't even use a fork. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, and still to this day, I have buffet anxiety. You know, like I go up to that buffet spread and I don't know what to pick up because it might not be the thing that I think it is. It might not. They it, never. They never label it. Why don't they ever label it? It might not be sexy. You don't want to pick the least sexy thing. And now, not even strawberries are safe. Apparently, no. no ruin that fantasy for me forever. <laughs> And the worst thing is the idea that Jackson afterwards, like, at least you didn't have to huck it back up like a hairball because <laughs> Jackson couldn't digest that thing. That was just for show. He was just, he was just trying to be flirty, which is funny because he did all that. He put all that effort in to bite that strawberry, knowing that he'd have to go throw it back up later, which 
Edward Cullen did the same thing with Pizza Pizza. And Grace is just like, it was obviously a big F you to to me and Flint. I'm like, no, baby girl. No, that's not what that was. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was just male bravado, you know, just like trying to show that he's just so nonchalant about her being in the room that he's going to do something normal. Um. But then it obviously reminded me of my my wedding scene where I was doing it to tease Scott. Well, there's eating. Oh, and obviously ended up backfire. <laughs> <laughs> I think that eating anything like in that like seductive way. I mean, you know, if you're making eye contact and you're biting into almost anything, uh, it's well, I guess it would depend on the food. If I if I saw someone Celery. Sitting, yeah. If someone was sitting across the room and they bit into like an onion, like a raw onion <laughs> or or straight into an ice cream, I would, uh God. No? No. <laughs> I need my Sensodyne for my teeth. Uh, oh, that's where you went. Like not, oh, it was really unsexy, but it's just like, oh, that oh, must hurt. <laughs> yeah, like nails on chalkboard. Oh, God. See, oh. I went for just the most unsexy food ever. The celery. Celery. Oh, because it's stringy. <laughs> he'll, he'll rip it off and then, like, you know how guinea pigs eat a piece of celery where they, like... And this is, like, dangling out of their mouth. Just then, spiraling around, 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 around. They, they chew it in like a piece of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. By the way, and, guys, if you ever want to send me and Starla guinea pig gifts or videos, or we're, we're very happy for them. Yes. <laughs> guinea pigs are my favorite. I want, we need, uh, I want to see everybody's guinea pigs. You guys need to tag. We should do hashtags Amber and Starla. Hashtag, hashtag Amber Why and Starla. Jet? That's, that's the thing. So start ta- hashtagging Amber and Starla on Instagram and we will be sure to look it up. Um, but so strawberry scene takes place and one of the most relatable things to me about this particular scene isn't the excitement and the 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 thrill of watching Jackson bite that strawberry. It is thrill. Come on now. The thrill. No, it's <laughs> it's Grace choking on her Dr. Pepper and feeling like she's going to die because she can't even drink liquid correctly. Because that's me at least once a week. If if something startles me or shocks me, I am sucking liquid down my throat and coughing. And, and half the time, it's not even something I'm drinking. Half the time, it's my own saliva that I have sucked down my lungs and am <laughs> hacking up. And everyone's meanwhile, looking at I me. <laughs> meanwhile, I can't walk in a straight line. And the amount of times I catch my like belt loop on a door frame or something, it's just... <sighs> Is it a short people thing? Which- yeah, I I feel like we're just not capable of humaning. Yeah, because the world so around just... us is so damn big. And Grace is tiny <laughs> too. We're all I'm pretty sure that she's around five foot two. And you and I are both five foot two. I swear I read that she's five foot two. The world is too big. <laughs> what do you think of the trope of the the main character, the lead female, always being a bumbling, clumsy person like what what do you think of that do you, do you feel it's relatable or do you feel it's overdone it's overdone but it's so relatable to me 
I mean, if, if, if I wasn't naturally already a clumsy person, then maybe I would be sick of it, but I relate to it every single time. So it always hits the target. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, it's me again. Oh yeah. Bella, just like me. Oh yeah. Grace, just like me, you know? And I think that that's what makes the, um, when they finally transform into the best version of themselves, which, you know, in YA, it's always that coming of age story where there was a big change in their life and they become a, a badass. I feel like that's that's my dream. Oh, my God, I would love to be like that someday. So I get to watch them grow. And meanwhile, I'm looking at my own life and I'm like, I still trip over things. <laughs> Soon you'll have someone come in for your front door going, you're a wizard startup. Oh, no. Like, no. <laughs> I don't want to be a wizard. <laughs> yeah, that's I I don't I don't think that I would be a very a very good wizard. I think that or witch. I think that I would be the the witch that everything goes wrong and my wand repeatedly explodes. <laughs> He'd be the uh what's his name? Seamus? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. And but you know Jackson's magical touchless Heimlich maneuver when Grace is choking on her Dr. Pepper, where he just kind of walks by and she magically is able to stop choking, that is a power that I would love to have. I would monetize that. I mean, it's never brought up again. We never hear about Jackson being able to magically stop people from choking. That is not in his in his list of magical powers, and we never see it happen again. But... What, telekinesis. Maybe he's, like, moving... Moving... Moving the doctor. <laughs> let me just, <laughs> let me push this down. There you go into your bladder. Okay, you're safe. Or was it? You know, like when you've got hiccups and you can't stop the hiccups, but then as soon as you're distracted from the hiccups, it stops. Like a calming of the of the muscle spasm. Yeah, he's like little joke. I re just reset your diaphragm. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy. Here you are. Yeah. The, I feel like Here you this are. Is, Here's an elbow shove. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is, and this is just another one of those cases where he touches her. He, oh no, he doesn't touch her. He just walks by that time. He touches her in the hallway, um, brushes against her, which in episode two we talk a little bit about, where we say that we think that he might be trying to kind of test to see what what is this feeling that I'm having because obviously um, something took place if. We're not in the spoiler section yet, but something weird was going on when they were down at the chessboard and there's that strange face touching scene. And then he repeatedly <laughs> kind of makes it a point to walk past her and touch her. But this was touchless. He literally just walks by and she stops choking. I'd like to think that it was him like, you know, going like tag you're it and just like, here you go. No taxi backsies. I don't want it. It would be. I, I wish that it was one of those things where what was ha like he takes away what's happening to her, but then inflicts it on himself because that would have been so much funnier where she's hacking her lungs up and then he walks by and takes it, but then he starts coughing like he he takes it from her. <laughs> That's why he threw up the strawberry. It is. That's it. It's like a cat hacking up a hairball, except it's a <laughs> chewed up, nasty Ew. Goop of and it was just one single strawberry. Did he chew it or was it like a whole, like, did it still have the seeds? Did it come up with anything else? Does he have stomach ass? Ew, did it come up in blood? 
you would never find it. <laughs> oh, I don't like. I don't like any of this. I don't like Amber anymore. Everybody, everybody's like, man, this podcast episode three really went downhill. <laughs> It's going to be our next Amazon review. Like, I really loved episode one and two. Episode three just went off the handles. (laughs) But um, in our defense, we've actually recorded this episode twice. Our audio corrupted in both episodes two and three. So both of the versions that you get to listen to are re-records. But I have a feeling that episode four will... um, it will cover some some things that we haven't yet talked about because we haven't gotten into those chapters yet. So that's going to be really exciting. Not to mention, we have a huge giveaway coming up in episode four. So make sure that you tune in for that in exactly one week. That's going to be a load of fun. I don't exactly know how we're going to do the giveaway yet, but it will be random. And we'll make sure that everybody has the uh, opportunity to enter there will be some like rules and conditions. For example, if you're under 18, you just got to make sure that you ask parent or guardian, yada, yada, all the usual things. But guys, do you hear that sound? Do you hear it? You know what that means? It means that all of you who have not read past chapters eight through 11 should probably scoot out because we are about to get into some spoiler topics. I've got a couple things that I want to talk about. I have a funny story I want to share. We've got some theories that we want to go over. So if you have not read past chapter 11, make sure to scoot out. But for the rest of you, let's hop into some spoiler topics. Amber, blood cups. (laughs) Blood cups. Blood cups. Blood cups. That's what's in our notes. We have we have a board that we're both able to to read from, and I just have spoiler topics. Number one, blood cups. <laughs> so thank God we both know what that means. Um, I absolutely imagine the big orange Gatorade cups that you see like at a football game. The ones that are just sitting on the table by the water cooler, ready for the for the players to grab one. And it's that way throughout all the books. Anytime there's a mention of the blood cups. See, I'm so British. I think of thermos. Like they're having like, because you'd want it warm. Do you twist Come the on. lid off or does it have like a sippy on the tip? Um, I like to imagine that you like, you, you untwist the top and then the top becomes the cup. Oh, so you got to look at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they're gonna like, they're gonna sip that like a fine brandy. I reckon they'd like swirl it around in their hands as well, you know? Yeah, cause gotta let the aroma. I mean, blood, that much blood is not clear. Like, despite what we see in movies, blood, especially at that volume is, is not clear. And after it sits for even just an hour, it starts to get a little bit foggy. Um, and coagulates. Yeah, yeah. It's, it starts getting chunky and, it, it, I mean, I, I can't decide. Is it is it cold? Are they drinking it like a like a cold it's beverage, or be, is it hot? It's got to be warm. I feel like, firstly, where's the blood coming from? Like, it, do they send out like hunting parties, or is it like True Blood, where they've like managed to like fabricate a fake like version of blood that's absolutely fine? Well, I mean, they they make a big point about the whole animal blood thing and being able to go out in the sunlight, consuming the animal blood. I feel like it would be just as easy to get butcher's blood, which 
you can do people paint with it and do arts and cr- arts and crafts with butcher's blood nom, so nom, 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 nom. Mm, yummy and obviously Catmere Academy is getting other food they're they're able to is there a semi that just comes every you know few weeks with their shipment of of food and no i blood? think i think they've got like uh like a helicopter dead drop but with a dragon Oh, like it, it comes down on a little parachute and floats like a yeah. little like a little <laughs> army care package floating down. <laughs> it would be so cute. And then you got like quick, quick, it's gonna land. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Grace is outside. Karen! <laughs> oh god. Let us know. Um in fact, send us a message, guys. When you watch this episode, pull up your Instagrams. Find our our page. It is Crave Series Aesthetic on Instagram. Send us a message and we will do some tallies because in the fourth episode, I want to talk about it. I want to know when you guys think of the blood cups that the vampires drink from, do you assume that the blood is like warm, cold, or I don't know, room temperature? (laughs) Would you eat cold gravy? Cold gravy. Um, I mean, yeah, I've, I, I have eaten some cold, uh, KFC mashed potatoes with a very stiff, solid gravy on top. You're so talking my love language right now. Mm. Yum. A a nice stiff gravy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why stiff and gravy should not ever be in the same (laughs) sentence ever again. There's nothing really wrong with the two words on their own, but together they form images that I don't know if they're appropriate or not. Are are we going to lose monetization for this? I don't know. A nice, a nice stiff gravy. Um, I also think that as a Brit, I can't ever imagine them to be water bottles because I feel like. What was that? What was that word you said? No, <laughs> that exactly. Word? That is exactly the exactly the reason is because I'm like I don't want to ever talk about water bottle <laughs> on the podcasts. <laughs> oh, I do not say water bottle you, in a weird way. You pronounce your T's. You you do. Water you, bottle. You just don't pronounce you just don't pronounce your R's because No. But that's Well, um I I do in my original accent. So I am from Somerset. So when I talk when I talk like I came from Somerset, this is what I sound like. But the problem is, it makes me sound like a proper farmer pirate and kind of like a little bit like Hagrid. <laughs> See, oh. that is embarrassing, right? I felt the water nope. start coming up through my nose. I was taking a drink. I'm like, Amber's talking. I got a minute so I can take a drink. And then I felt it coming up like the Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh. It's a really, it's not an attractive accent at oh. all. Um, so I like I really quashed it during <laughs> university. I was like, no one will take me seriously if I come into a lecture. You, you're right, mate. How's it going? <laughs> well, I think it's cute. It's not. It's not adorable. <laughs> it's not endearing. It's awful. Oh, God. But um, there are certain words that if there are certain words, and it doesn't even matter if I'm drunk or not. Like there are certain words that I cannot say categorically. One of them is ruler. Ruler. <laughs> <laughs> can't say it. Ruler. <laughs> and ruler. <laughs> so bad. Ruler. 
but yeah, that's the it's the it's the R's apparently is that I have just I've got so conscious of them that I never say them. Okay, so for those who who I mean, obviously you know that that Amber's British, but her husband's also British. Wow, um, I think that when we start getting to crush that you should bring scott on the podcast he he has not read the books just to be clear so everyone knows but can you bring scott on just to read hudson quotes in a british accent oh yeah and and he's a very nice british accent as well he's very posh he sounds he sounds like he should be uh doing a bbc documentary when he talks yeah. so he's he's got a proper voiceover like voice it's great Oh, yes. I think that you should have him read the Hudson quotes, but don't give him any inflection. Just give, write the quote separately from the book and only let him read the quote and let him do his own inflection. And we'll see if it fits the context. <laughs> you know, he'll end up on like TikTok as, you know, like where they've got, um, uh, Loki impersonators. <laughs> it's like, he'll end up like that, which is like just speaking in Hudson voice. And they'll record him, sound clip him. I'll also get him because he's a dungeon master for um, quite a few um, Dungeons and Dragons games. So he can also do a Scottish accent, an Irish accent, a Welsh accent. He can do a Scouse accent, all of the accents of Britain. But apparently, according to you Americans, all we have is British and dirty British. <laughs> now, Scottish is very, I, I, it's very distinct. Um, but the dirt British and dirty British to me are very, very different. And, and that's just what, what we call it for lack of knowing anything better to call it. Who, who, who speaks in a dirty British accent? Uh, Bellatrix Lestrange. So London. So is, like that, is that what it would Statham. be? Cause I've, no, but Jace, I, yes. Jason Statham. Yes. Yeah. London. Like that's like proper Cockney London. And that's kind of how I imagine Hudson when he's mad and he's cursing and especially because that happens a lot in Crush. I, I feel like he starts to slip a little bit and he quits being all, all, you know, prim and proper. And it, it's like the equivalent of. In America, someone's starting to, you know, keeping them self-composed, but then they start talking slang when they're relaxed and around their friends. And that's kind of how I picture it. Yeah. I mean, I'll ask Scott to read one of the really, you know, like the romantic scenes. Oh, God. He's, just talk he's talking really, really nicely to her. But then I'll also get him to read my favorite scene. He, Which we didn't discuss, actually. We didn't discuss what my favorite scene was. Oh, yes. And and you know what's really bad is in episode one, Amber asked me what my favorite scene was, and I told her. And then I was just like, all right, guys, that's the episode. Bye. Thanks. For <laughs> Bye. And then we re-recorded, or we recorded episodes two and three, and I got her favorite scene. But then those, you know, got uh, corrupted. So we're re-recording them. And if you wouldn't have just let me know, I would have went on again and not let you say your favorite scene so this is your chance the spotlight is on you so my favorite scene in crave is actually the dungeon scene because i'm a psychopath <laughs> <laughs> so um my favorite scene is is the dungeon scene and i mean I, I don't think that i could break it down by a chapter because it's such a long it's a long scene isn't it 
Um, it goes on for quite a long time. And the reason why is because there is that feeling of being in absolute in- imminent danger, but your man is doing his absolute best to get to you and to make sure you're safe. Um, and that feeling with, to me, even though she was in like the worst danger ever and she was being like threat of death, it was awful. She was in so much pain, but hearing Jackson like punch through a wall to get to her made me feel safe. <laughs> Such a weird scene. But um, in all the books, my favorite scene is in Covert and it is during the gladiator scene when Grace has given up. Oh, that yeah. That scene where Hudson's like, you bloody what? Yeah, fuck you, get up. Yeah, that scene, that's my absolute favorite because that's how I hope that my husband would talk to me if I was ever getting to the point where I couldn't get back up again. Um, because us, me, me and Stella is obviously not a physical thing. It's not a, oh, I'm, I'm down because I've not, I'm not winning this fight. I think it's a very, a work thing that if we ever get to our breaking point with work where we're just like, I can't do it today. I, I can't, I can't record this live stream. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I think our husbands are very much in our corners. Like, yes, you can get up, stop moaning and do it. Stop procrastinating. And you sent me a video of you cleaning out your pool. Because us Brits, we don't have pools. <laughs> it's not a it's not a thing that we just have in our backyards. And you were showing me how you have to like empty out your pool. And your husband had filmed it. And like you were like, I don't want to go under. I don't want to go under. And he was like, stop procrastinating and just do it. And I was like, yes, Hudson, <laughs> go and do it. For context, our pool... Like, towards the end of summer, we stopped taking care of it, so it turns into, like, this green, buggy, disgusting swamp that you literally can't see through. But the way that you drain the pool is there's a little cork all the way at the bottom, and you gotta dive down and pull the plug. And I was the one who had to... um Hold my breath. Have your glasses on, and you couldn't see. (laughs) Oh, I couldn't see if I wanted to. There's no way I could have opened my eyes in that water. It was it was completely green, and it was absolutely awful. Um, but yeah, and if Amber and I, you know, the two of us, if for any reason we were like, yeah, I don't feel like it today, it's like, oh, it's okay. You don't got to worry about it. But our husbands would both be like, nah, you need to just do it. You said you were gonna do it. I'm holding you to that. Get up and do it. Do it. Just do yeah. it. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, really, that's not not that if you're at a low where you can't and you're actually emotionally distraught and you have like nothing bad will happen if you don't do something. There's no consequence to it and you won't hate yourself later for it. Then it's totally OK to have someone there to say, you know what? This isn't a big deal. You don't need to kill yourself doing this today. We can always do it tomorrow. But this wasn't that case. This was a scene where Grace was going to die. And she was accepting that she was going to die. And Hudson was not having any part of it. And that's why that scene was so significant. And I really can't wait until we can actually read Covet for the podcast. Since we're doing these chapter by chapter. And for the second time anyway. Like even without the podcast. Reading it through a second time. It, it would make it so much more poignant without having to discuss all of the single like sentences that made a connection with us. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Because, I mean, first read through, I was just like devouring it as fast as I could and not even looking for the nuances. I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then slamming the book down in frustration. I did. I did so many times with Covet. Oh, so many times. I, I had to put the book down multiple times because I was so stressed. Um, so during our first recording, I had... I didn't get to bring up this theory, but I sat and stewed on it after we mourned the loss of episodes two and three, which corrupted, and now we're re-recording them. But I had time to think <laughs> about something that I hadn't thought of before. And this is a fan theory. I know that you guys love those. Feel free to let us know if you agree. But when Jackson walks in during the party, Flint is all over Grace. He is all over her. And we know that Flynn is gay. Flint is not romantically interested in Grace. He didn't say he was bi. He said he was gay. So my theory is that if Flint is in love with Jackson and he's beginning to see Jackson taking an interest in Grace, could he be either one, protecting Jackson's heart, by trying to prevent Jackson from falling in love with Grace by making Jackson think that he's after Grace. You know, maybe maybe he's trying to keep Dra Jackson from falling in love with her because he knows that Grace has to die. Grace before hers. Yeah, yeah. Like, does maybe he really thinks that if he takes that claim on grace and kind of wards jackson away because macy tells grace you can either hang out with flint or you can hang out with jackson but you cannot hang out with both so if flint can convince grace to stick with him just long enough for him to kill her then he wouldn't really have to worry about Jackson falling in love with her and watching Jackson have to go through the pain of losing her in the event that that mating bond were to form between them. That's my theory. So I, I think that it was Flint trying to make Jackson jealous by almost showing too much of an interest in another, in another girl that he wanted. Does Jackson know... I mean, because they talk about how Flint and Jackson were best friends, and then the thing with, with Hudson happened, and Flint's uh, brother was killed, and obviously, you know, Nuri is very, very anti-vamp for that reason, but were they, was there a romantic interest with Jackson and Flint before everything, or were they just close friends? I mean, you can't not know. When someone is in love with you... Like, even when you're trying to friend zone them, you know, because they're, they're paying, um, a more than friendship amount of interest and attention on you. So, I mean, Jackson must have known, but there might just have been that case where he's like, if he, if he ever gave Flynn a hug, if he ever had anything, the mating bond wasn't going to set because, of the mating bond that had already been sort of put in place with Grace. So they they said that they he could never form a mating bond until he had formed one with Grace. 
So maybe he just realized that I was like, oh, maybe he didn't think that he would connect with another person at all. Yeah. You know, before episode four, and I need to reread them, but I want to read um, the the Witch's Court bonus chapter. And I, kn- I know you haven't had a chance to read it yet. But I feel like you'll be able to... You're a lot more analytical than I am. And I feel like you're going to be able to pull more from it than I was able to. Because we get backstory on Grace's parents along with the purpose of the mating bond. Which, for those who aren't aware, there are bonus chapters for um, Vampire Court, Witch's Court, Dragon Court, and in the Bookish Box Special Editions... I believe that the actual copy of Court will include the Gargoyle Court um, bonus chapter as well. So there are bonus chapters available out in the world, but I believe that in most cases you have to buy the versions of the books from different bookstores to get them. But if you like live in an area where you literally cannot access um, those books because they are from bookstores that you don't have access to, uh, you can always look online, and I'm sure that you would be able to find them. I, I was able to find them pretty easily. Um, but with that being the case, I'm really hoping that we learn more in court about that mating bond. Because we also have the the question of the emerald string. Yeah. and I mean, like, I, ju- I just think that it would stop him from ever investing in a relationship if there was nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we I mean, we obviously find out throughout the books like that mate and bond doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have a relationship with someone, because a lot of people just do. I mean, Flint and Luke, for example. <clears throat> Flint and Luca? Yeah, um, and I mean... It is name. It is like you were so silent, and I was like, oh no, is it the wrong name? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I was drinking water. Um, no, I completely agree. And that, and that's why I was really torn when Nuri gave her heart to Jackson instead of Luca. I, I was really surprised. And I wonder if Flint had the choice who we, he would have picked. Then again, if they're going, if there's going to be a war, it, it's almost like Jackson, Jackson is the one that they need. Which is mean. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's sad. Um, I also, and- oh, go ahead. And it's and he's still a vampire, so I was like, well, maybe if we choose save Luca, it could have restored that whole dragon and vampire courts like uniting. But being in a relationship with Jackson would also fulfill that. So it's not like a oh well, it's just an easier relationship for them both. It would still be a difficult relationship. The mother would still disapprove of the vampire. And. I mean, there was also the there's also the fact that Jackson literally gave himself to save Flint, so she might have seen it as like I'm repaying you exactly. Like you gave everything to save my son, I'm going to repay you by giving you my heart. Yeah, not that and I'm and I'm wondering whether give Nuri giving her his heart giving him her heart. 
pronouns, um, whether that restored his ability and his his soul and his ability to create a mating bond again. Or enhanced it. Yeah, maybe like for the first time, if he touches Flint, he might actually be able to create that mating bond. Oh, I hope so. And also, is he part dragon now? (gasps) Is he a dramp? Dramp. Dram, drampire. I I hope so. Dragon. My biggest, I mean, I've got a lot of hopes for court. My biggest hope for court, though, I want Jackson and Flint together. I want them together so much because Jackson has went through, I mean, I'm team Hudson all the way, but Jackson has went through a lot. He's been through a whole lot. Um, And I feel like we don't see a lot of books with this level of, I don't know, where we've got a love interest that follows all of the tropes, all of the cliches, but then surprise by the end of the series, he's gay now. And that would just be so, so rewarding because then everybody would get what they want. Everyone would be happy. I mean, we already know from a lot of like folklore and other fiction work about vampires that their sexuality is very very fluid yeah because they're alive for so long that they can't i suppose they can't just decide that they only are interested in a certain gender you don't see homophobic vampires no they're (laughs) they're very open and i i also feel like he probably thought that he was straight just for grace maybe he thought that he was um is it demisexual? Where he's like, I only have eyes for grace. Right. He's only ever had eyes for grace. But because of that mating bond that was falsely put in place, he wasn't able to ever explore anything else. Yeah. That he didn't know that there was another another possibility. Yeah. And they and we already knew that Jackson and Flint were best friends before. So it's not like they haven't got history together. They they would be best friends like the the best person for you to form a mating bond with and also to marry and to live with um is your best friend absolutely absolutely um and and once again it's another one of those things where you know this is this is a fantastic opportunity because even even when you and I were in high school because we're old um, older than most of our listeners. But when you and I were in high school, the idea of a book that would, that even has the possibility to take that direction would have been unheard of. And it would have been the, one of those things where like, I know that in my school, I would have had teachers that would have been like, oh, I don't want that smut in my class. Yeah. And it would have been smut from the moment that they were at the Dragon Court anyway. <laughs> That's true. That's but, true. Uh, yeah. I think that a lot of the ideas that Tracy writes into her books are very challenging to what we would consider our generation. Um, and I love it. Yeah, it's great. There are black characters that they are just, that it's not their identifying characteristics. It's just, And it's never like repeated that they're black it's just yep they're black and then that's it that's all that you, that's all you need to hear and then that's what you know that they're characters um they don't start inviting you in for chicken right it's so not racist and it's so not homophobic it's so open and rainbow and it's great 
because it makes it normal. It normalizes it in literature and it's such a great opening book for gay characters to not be the camp best friend who is that it, it, there's flamboyant no that trope. Yeah, there's no need for that trope because they exist on their own merit. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I really respect about Tracy um, is that she doesn't find a million words to describe her black character's skin color. She just says brown <laughs> or warm brown. And I actually have uh, this blog that I refer to and that I send a lot of my writer friends to just called Writing with Color. And I, I think it's on Tumblr for anybody who might be interested in finding it. It's either writing in color or writing with color. But basically, it talks about the terms that you should never use to describe skin color. Because terms like chocolate and mocha, and it's just, for one, it's overdone. But for two, nobody refers to their, uh, nobody calls a white person vanilla. Oh, her skin was vanilla. Nobody says that. <laughs> Like, just call it what it is. And I think that we were talking about um, the trope of alabaster. calling alabaster. You know, I think that alabaster is a term that I would only describe the skin tone of a vampire because that, to me, feels correct. But when and I read... We're very, very, very white. Like, uh, if you look at us, you we, might have to wear sunglasses because we reflect so much light. We glow. <laughs> yeah and if somebody was like "Ooh, i love your alabaster skin i'd be like what <laughs> am i am i sick do i look ill do i like i don't know alabaster isn't isn't just a, oh you are really white and you would definitely burn like a lobster in the sun <laughs> alabaster kind of has that like i don't know I, I, think of, I think yeah and i also think of like plaster of paris it's like very fixed in place very permanent doesn't ever move um Kind of like China. Yeah. Like porcelain. Even porcelain skin makes me feel uncomfortable. And yeah, it's the name of the color of my foundation. <laughs> oh, mine too. Mine too. Soft beige porcelain. Yeah. Um, just call it skin colors for what they are. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to enhance those skin colors. For example, in my own book, um, I'm writing a character named uh, Yana. And she's black. And I describe her cheekbones as having a golden highlight because typically when a, you know, black female does her makeup, a color that they gravitate to towards for lighter highlights is gold. And it's insanely pretty, especially in a, in a medium brown skin color. And I've always thought like, wow, that is just such a gorgeous color. So that's one of the ones that I use to describe. So there's plenty of ways to add flair without being like, oh, they're cinnamon skin, they're mocha skin. Because when I think of someone like cinnamon, I, I don't know why, but my brain is just like, yeah, that's like the name that you would call a stripper, you know? Oh, here comes cinnamon. <laughs> and not like there's anything oh. wrong with that, but it's not how um, you want to describe someone not <laughs> in that role. It's just... We're crystal with a K. Yeah. Or, uh, no. I mean, my name's Starla and I've, every time it's I've introduced myself to a teenager, they're like, you know, if you ever wanted to be a stripper, you would never have to change your name. I'm like, yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> I've been hearing that um, ever since I was in school, but thanks for pointing that I out. Think, I think one of the best ways that you can describe any Afro-American or black, because it doesn't, and they don't, they don't necessarily have to be American, do they? Um, is using like, their hair 
There are so many descriptive words for cornrows and afros and um, any any of the hairstyles that if a white person wore would just be odd and also really culturally wrong like (laughs) yeah don't do it and 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 tracy does a great job of that too where she and that was one thing with flint that i noticed right away when she describes him she said that she said something about like an afro that looked really good on him or like it I remember she worded it like it looked really great on him because I feel like when we were teenagers, if somebody would have written a book and described an Afro, they would have done it like in that big comical Microphone. way and it, and it would be another trope. Yeah. We're not talking about Bob Ross here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I have so what? much respect for Tracy for being able to do exactly what we should have been doing all along and i really really hope to see more authors in the future and i'm not saying that tracy's the only one i see people all the time make fantastic book recommendations for books that i just haven't had a chance to read um where the you know i'll see big threads i want a good series that focuses on uh lgbtq plus characters and there will be a huge list and it's always stuff that ends up in my amazon wish list and then i don't have time to read it um so, so, so talking oh, about Flint, yes. Your next point is that Flint is a little bit of a gay Avenger. The gay Avenger. You know what? I was going to skip the story, but you brought it up, so I'm going to read it because I have to. I have to. Okay. So, for those who don't know the gay Avenger story, thankfully it's very short, and I'm going to read it. But when Grace is walking away from James, Flint sees that James is trailing her and he comes to her defense and he's like, Hey, you know, I saw I, your, your, your buddy was following you and he comes in and holds on to her. And James has turned around and starts walking away disappointed because Flint has come to her rescue. So that scene reminded me of a story that I've read so many times and I have to share it today called the story of the gay Avenger. So um, the story goes, let's see. There's this one gay club that I go to that actually has a problem of straight guys going there to dance with girls. I guess these guys don't understand that girls can also be gay because they assume that any girl at the club are there with their gay guy friends. So one night I was out on the dance floor and I see this guy. He's like over six foot tall at least, all beefed up, muscle shirt, looks kind of like a douchebag, and he's just circling the dance floor in one continuous loop, looking at the crowd like a predator, and it's creeping me out. It's creeping me out enough that I don't immediately realize what's going on nearby. Some girl has attracted one of the assholes who has proceeded to begin grinding on her. She's pushing him away, telling him to get lost, and he's pulling that whole, come on, don't be a bitch spiel, and generally just not getting the message. Bam, suddenly the prowling guy swoops in like some sort of gay avenger. He shoves himself between the girl and the asshole, grabs the asshole by the hips, and starts dirty dancing him like a goddamn... I can't say it because we'll get demonetized. Uh, asshole completely flips his shit. Like how dare another man try to dance with him at a gay bar and starts spitting curses and uh, tears ass off the dance floor and out onto the sidewalk. The gay Avenger turns back to the girl, inclines his head in an are you okay sort of gesture. She nods and he returns to his previous position of circling the dance floor, 
looking for his next target. Told this story to some guys upstairs, and apparently Gay Avenger is a regular there. So, yeah. Favorite, favorite story. And that's, I, I read that scene with Flint, and I'm like, oh, God, Flint just pulled a Gay Avenger. That's so perfect. He was totally... He's like, nope, not for this girl, mate. Better leave. Which, you know, though Flint acts out in the end of the book a little bit, you know, tries to kill Grace. Um, not not excusable, but I feel like there are plenty of times where he also has her back. So he's re- he's it was redeemable. Yes, he has he has plenty of moments. Flint is one of the best characters of the book. I I absolutely love Flint. Um, <laughs> so now we've done the Avenger story. Uh, should we move on to the fan question of the week? Yes, I am ready. So this is these are fan questions that you guys submit. We have a big pile of them, and we just pull one every week. So eventually, we'll get through all of those, and and we'll ask more. But Amber, <laughs> you want to read our fan question? Starla, what are your opinions on the mating bond? Um. So. Mating bond, I saw a lot of parallels to imprinting, which we see in the Twilight series. But to me, it's so much more consensual, which is so much better. Stephanie Meyer, why is imprinting not more consensual? Um, The mating bond to me, I really love the idea of the threads. I think that the strings are a beautiful way to illustrate it that connection between individuals where it's not just your heart feels away. It's not just something that, that boils down to feelings. She made it tangible. She added a physical element there that no matter where they are or how far apart they are, there is a piece like it's like their, their Wi-Fi is on, you know, they're, they're synced up via Bluetooth. They've got their little, uh, They've got their little string that they can really connect through. And I think that that is a set paired in, device. Yes. I think that it's, it's very, it's very, very special. Um, I much prefer the idea of the mating bond that Tracy has illustrated, but I know that you've got a more in-depth perspective there. So <laughs> I have questions. Yes. I have many, many questions. And I think that it was only because my experience of love has not been a happy one. Obviously, with my husband, it has been. Yeah. Um, but throughout my life, I think that we, we, we all have those relationships that lead on to the next relationship. That they are the ones that put us in the right mindset to meet the next person. Or they put us in the correct place to meet the next person. Um, everything sort of, I know that sounds really cliche, uh, everything happens for a reason that the the way that me and my husband met would not have happened had either of us had a happy childhood or a happy um past relationship with someone he he had a terrible relationship with his ex and ended up going online to meet people because he was so lonely so he ended up playing xbox with a group of strangers made friends with them and then made such good friends with them that he was then invited to their wedding. And that was how we met. I had to go to university because I couldn't stand the idea of staying with my parents at home. And I had to meet very specific people, even get allocated into dorm rooms with those specific people so that they could introduce me to their friends so that I could meet my husband. 
But I had obviously relationships along the way, and so did he. And each time, I feel like if the mating bond was a thing, we wouldn't have invested so much of ourselves into that relationship because we knew that it would be pointless. How how far into a relationship would you go before realizing, okay, this is not it's not the real thing. It's not my soulmate. Because you believe with every relationship, you go, okay, yeah, this this could be my soulmate. You wouldn't you wouldn't bother with the relationship if you didn't think it was worth trying. And I think that that's why I was like, mm, are people just insanely happy with the mating bond? Are mating bonds sometimes formed through alliances? Like, for example, um, Hudson and Jackson's parents. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking, what if those mating bonds were formed because they both knew codependently that they would make a symbiotic relationship with each other that was very powerful? And there was no love at all. What is a soulmate? See, I have too many questions. And this is why I pick apart books very fast. <laughs> well, maybe it's not one of those things where it happens immediately for most. For example, maybe if Flint and Luca would have been able to stay together for several years and establish, you know, their relationship. Maybe it's one of those things where it, it's almost like a proposal where it happens after the the connection has solidified it's just the examples that we were given as the primaries with Jackson and Grace with Hudson and Grace there was there was a circumstance there that forced it to take place before it should have obviously Jackson's and Grace was was more it was fabricated it was it was created for them um and the reason for that you find out in uh in Witch's Court and then the um the connection between Grace and Hudson took place because Grace was broken from Jackson and she was almost like half a soul and she melded on to Hudson and was able to to make her soul complete. But in most cases, when there are two individuals who each have their own complete souls, maybe it's more of like a, a time will tell whether or not they're right for each other. Yeah. But I could play devil at advocate, and okay, you and Mark have been together for 11 years? Yes. Yeah. So you're 11 years in, and you haven't created that mating bond yet, but you think, well, maybe maybe tomorrow we'll create that mating bond. We're so perfect for each other. But the next day, you go to the grocery shop, and you exchange cash to the cashier, and you brush his finger, and you create a mating bond with him. Ooh, and he was yeah. your soulmate the whole time. And every single moment that you have had with Mark, you'd be then, oh, what am I giving up to be with a stranger? That's true. That's true. Yeah, and you would be like, um, I mean, me and Scott, we play this game all the time and it's, it's a very strange game, but we're like, okay, so you get, there's a phone app that you download and if you input all of this information, it will tell you who your soulmates are, even if there's multiple, because we don't believe that there's ever just one person for every person there is going to be multiple people there's eight million billion people <laughs> eight billion people in the world you can't be so self-centered that there's only one person for you there's going to be quite a few matches right so you enter all of your information and it will tell you who is the most likely to be your friend and who is the best match in the world if it told you who your soulmate was 
and it wasn't the person that you were with, how much would you throw away to go and find this person who could be perfect when you've got an almost perfect right in front of you? That's true as well. And, you know, there are a lot of things, for example, most people tend to end up with someone who geographically is in close proximity. Um, it, it, what would you do if you found out that the person that would create a perfect pair with you lived halfway across the world? Would you be willing to go that distance to find them? I think that for most, the answer is no. We tend to stick to partners who we meet. Yeah, they're, they're, they're convenient. They're very close by. My husband lived a town over. Um, he was, it was like a 30 minute drive. So it was kind of exotic in that way where, ooh, you know, he's not someone from my school. <laughs> he's I from a different, like, what if it was a woman? Yeah, that too, that too. And actually it turns out that mating bonds don't necessarily have to be a sexual one. I mean, obviously mating kind of comes with the territory, but what if, um it didn't have to be sexual and actually the very best friend like for example you and me we meet each other at the airport we give each other a hug for the first time after four years and all of a sudden oh mate, mating <laughs> bond what happens and then we're like oh no what do we do where do we go well, from good, here it's a good thing scott's going to florida for a few days isn't it <laughs> scott's gonna listen to this episode and be like what the fuck <laughs> what the hell <laughs> I've, I've cursed so many times. I'm going to have to bleep out in this episode, even as careful as I've been. <laughs> we should have, we should have something that isn't a bleep. Do a, do a, a We should have a branded bleep. I'll try to see if I can find a creature noise that I can use royalty free. Um, but yeah, there, there's obviously issues. I think that my big thing is that in, in the context of a mated pair, a partner that, there is a, a supernatural connection to them. I would much prefer Tracy's version of fate and destiny over what Stephanie Meyer tried to illustrate, where you had the potential to fall in love with someone who was quite literally moments out of the womb. And oh, while, absolutely. yeah. And while that was done out of necessity, because it it was one of those things where the wolves couldn't kill her if she was imprinted on and that's that was the the functional purpose of it that's still a, a life commitment and, yeah. and 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 the the idea of jacob when he hears about bella and edward getting married and the fact that he was going to turn her and jacob knowing that he would never ever be with her ever again um, and he went around trying to imprint on absolutely anyone. Yeah. It was such a desperate attempt to find love. And he was only what, like 16, 17? Yes. Um, and, and I remember being that age and feeling very self-conscious of the fact that I did not have a partner and definitely not one that I would consider marriage material. And it seems to be a very repetitive trope that one person within this fantasy have found their absolute beloved and the people around them are just wondering what they're doing wrong. All I can say to our listeners is you are doing absolutely nothing wrong. If you have not found your soulmate at 16, please don't be upset. 
because it will happen. I mean, within a very small confine of what I think soulmate actually means, because um, everybody has their own idea of, of what love is. But when I was 16, I could not have ever imagined who I'm with now. Um, so, yeah, just be a little bit patient. And if the people around you have found their absolute sweetheart, the person they're going to die with, the person that they're going to grow old and grey with, great for them. But that might not be your story. Yeah, and there's no rush. Like, I know how nice it is to 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 have someone, and I, I know how awful nights alone can be, especially when you're used to having someone and maybe you've, you've broken up. Um, but there's so much time. There's so much time. And it's even, as a teenager, it's hard to fathom how much time there is. But oh, yeah, and, and 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 how much a person's character in depth could be the right match for you. It's not just, oh, do they look good? It's not just, do they fit within society as to whether I should go out with them? When you meet the person that you're supposed to be with, it is as easy as breathing. And I will keep repeating that. It is so easy. Um... And even if you have a garlic mushroom related incident, <laughs> he still loves you so much to every corner of your existence and your soul. He will love you or she will love you. Yeah. Or they will love you. If, if you can't picture yourself, like I've got, I have a, I have a, a wart on my butt and I need this person to look at it because no one else can. <laughs> If you can't picture, I thought you were going really deep and personal. Yeah, then. no, it's hy- hypothetical. Hypothetical. If you have a wart on your butt and you don't think that you can go to your partner and say, "I need you to look at this," there's something on my butt. Then they're not. They're not for you, boo. You gotta. You gotta find someone who's willing to look at that wart on your butt, and you gotta be looking. To, you know, willing to look at the wart on their butt, because nobody so else is gonna do that. Butt? Will you look at my butt wart? Do you have a butt wart, Amber? <laughs> It's in the shape of a mushroom. <laughs> Amber's got a a butt mushroom. Ooh, that's, that sounds even Ew. worse. That's that's Ew. worse than the than the stiff gravy. A stiff gravy. And on the, that note, on that note, let's do the fan poll of the week, guys. I, from you know, morbid curiosity's sake, I asked, um, what uniforms do you prefer because catmere academy we've got the the purple pleated skirts or dark i think dark jeans dark dark pants dark dress pants and uh black polos and purple polos um just very lots of lots of purple and black and then hogwarts obviously are done by houses but we've got a dress shirt um your your dress robes usually a matching tie um there's also the the girls have the option to wear the gray skirt. Uh, Amber, assuming you got to pick w- whatever house, you know, uh, and you like the color of the house. I, I don't particularly like Gryffindor's colors. I think that if I got Gryffindor, I'd be like, oh, man, I don't like these colors. But assuming that you got the the house that had the ideal colors for you, which uniform would you prefer? Hogwarts or Catmere? <laughs> So my uniform when I went to actual school here in the UK was pretty much the Hogwarts uniform. Oh no. 
I actually had to wear um, the shirt or blouse, the the tie with the house colours, the pullover, like jumper, uh, the skirt, the really high socks. It was awful. But that is probably why uh, J.K. Rowling wrote that in, was because it was a very, very typical uniform for a British school. Um, I think the only thing that was different would be the cloaks that they wore. So in this instance, I'm saying catmere only because I like purple. And also, I pretty much have worn the Hogwarts uniform for six years of my life as secondary school. So I don't need to wear it again. Yeah, we didn't. I got to wear like trip pants and slipknot t-shirts when I was when I was in school. That's that is mind boggling. We had mufti days, which I what? still don't know what mufti comes from. Ew. Uh, the word mufti. But it, yeah, uh, mufti days were when uniform wasn't obligatory and you could come wearing whatever you wanted. Um, and they would usually be on a Friday. And I still have no idea what they were for, why they were called mufti, or whether it was just my school thing. It's a casual Friday. That's what we called it. Casual Friday. But if you if if you wore casual all week, what would be the benefit of a casual Friday? We had casual Fridays when I uh, moved to a vocational school because when I worked in a daycare, um, which for my, my junior and senior year, I worked in a daycare half the day because that was going to be my profession was uh, early childhood. I had to wear scrubs. So that was but that was a very specific career path that I chose most in traditional high school wouldn't have had that option it's just because I was in a professional environment I had to wear scrubs because my normal clothes would have gotten nasty but we didn't have normal classes on some days of the week I I believe it was Friday and we were able to wear jeans and uh, t-shirts because there was no risk of getting like paint or throw up on them oh my my scrubs had hello kitty I had to wear hello kitty (laughs) Um, for a year. And then I did Peanuts like Snoopy and Charlie Brown for a year. So, oh. so my, uni- yeah, no, we had, we had, we had uniform the entire time, like all throughout. And then college when you hit like 16, 17, or when you've gone through A levels and then you're 18 upwards, that was when you could wear whatever you wanted. Got it. Got it. Well, um, what do you think the majority of the audience said? Cadmere. Yeah, it was, I can't believe how, how many, um, because I like Hogwarts uniforms. I, I really, really do. But, uh, their uniforms were only 14% and Katmere's uniforms were 86%. So I think a lot of people like purple. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, it, it's got that really like the cute little purple pleated skirts. I mean, come on. They've got the nice dress blazers. <laughs> like that's, it's my, uh, my school had the four houses. So they, we had, Quantock, Cotswold, Mendip, and what? Somewhere else. Are you serious? Now, now, yeah, we had names of houses, um, and they were the red, green, yellow, and blue. I was Quantock, which was green, so I had green stripes. I was Slytherin. <laughs> I feel like um, you're messing with me right now. No, no, genuinely. And uh, the Mendips, the Cotswolds, the Quantocks, and there's another one, but I can't remember what they are. It's really irritating me, but they are hills uh, around where our school was. So you might be able to work out whereabouts I lived. Um, but in, I'm going to say, I, was, I think I was in year 
10, year 11, they had too many students uh, one year and they decided to introduce a fifth year, a fifth house and it was purple and I was so mad. I was so jealous. This is so bizarre to me. I, I'm every day with with Amber, we learn new things. She learned that in America, we have root beer stands where people in roller skates skate up to your car and you can order root beer and hot dogs. And I learned that the Harry Potter houses are real. So <laughs> they are. Uh, we like most schools, especially if they have a uniform, the whole ha- the whole school is split up into four houses. And it is um, we used to swap classes. So we would have an opposite house. So kind of like Gryffindor would always be in classes with Slytherin and Hufflepuff would always be in classes with the Ravenclaw. And it was because they would sort of have that multi-class system. I don't know why they did it, to be honest. I'm just making this up. But we did actually have the four houses. And I was so angry when they brought in the purple house because I was so jealous that I wanted their uniform. Wow. Well, this sounds... I'm not done with this discussion. We're going to talk about this again in the future. Maybe maybe when we have an excuse to talk more about their uniforms when they actually come up in the scene. Because I, I do want to know more. But um, do you want to give me the last question, which is the question that we ask to our fans? Because we received 46 responses. 46? 46. 46. So- 46, but last year, last year. um yes would you like to ask it or would you like me to ask it? i would like you to ask it because i don't have it up anymore i have the answers up oh okay so our question to you this week was what do you think grace's emerald string signifies yeah you guys had some ideas um so one person said that they believe that it's memories of her time in the stone gargoyle um, or it's a connection to her new abilities. Uh, quite a few people said memories. Um, one person said the power to develop her court. So that's interesting. So the, the ability to form the gargoyle court or reform the gargoyle court. Okay. Uh, one person said her missing memories because in chapter 57 of Crush, she said that she saw a string, but she said a voice warns me not to touch it. She's all, or she also describes a mental barrier keeping her from her memory. I'm, I mean, I have similar theories to what everybody's kind of been saying, but it, it could. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't like this one. This one, I reckon it's a mating bond to the unkillable beast. Ew. No. I imagined him to be like her parents. See, we ha- I have theories. I have theories about the unkillable beast. And I remember Marco Poloing you when I had just read it. And I was like, I have so many theories. And I need to discuss them with someone. Um, Save them because I forget I what they are. Save them and let's... a lot older than her. I mean, that wouldn't make it... I, I, I oh, yeah. I think it would make it wrong. But he's already speaking about the fact that there's someone he needs to give the crown to who is not her. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, quite a few people said mating string to the other gargoyle, but one person said a way to find 
other gargoyles. I think that there are a few around in hiding. So that's an yeah. interesting one. Do you, do you have a theory? Um, you know, my only idea is that Jackson and her mating bond was black and green. Yeah. Remember? It was two strings. And her parents put it in place along with the yes. blood letter. I feel like there is a tie back to her mating bond with Jackson in some way. I feel like the that that would Maybe make sense, but I don't know what it is. Have a baby, and then Jackson will have a mating bond with the <gasps> baby. Not again! No! Not again! No Triggered. more! No more! <laughs> oh, let's see. Um. Someone said people actually have theories. I have no idea what it could be. <laughs> See, that that was me up oh. until I read this question and I was like, oh, I think I know. I think I know. I think it is Grace's bond with her own gargoyle. And the only times that I have ever seen Hudson actually scared was when any time he thought that Grace was a gargoyle forever or touched the green string. Um, and I think that it's because he doesn't think that he can get back to her. Um, he, he was afraid in the laundry room because when she was like, no, 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 don't touch, don't touch the green. Don't touch the green. Don't touch that one. And I think that was because he was like, oh no, I don't want to go back to the prison that we were both kind of stuck in as, as a statue. And then when she was in the library and he was just being an ass and she was like, just, you're really, really irritating me. Was that, was that with, with Hudson or was it with Jackson? Yeah. yeah. When it was Hudson I think it was and she Hudson. goes gargoyle on him and he, he panics because he doesn't think that he can get her back. And I think that when she pulls on the emerald string, she goes full gargoyle. But at the same time, she knows which string is her gargoyle because she pulls it to be able to activate her powers. And I think... Yeah, it's the platinum. Yeah, I think that when she um, first went to be a, a gargoyle, when she was saving Jackson, um, I think that because she didn't know her own powers, she didn't know which which string to pull and it just happened. Then she, she didn't control it, it just happened. She just went into being a statue. And that might have been what the green string is. It's not her gargoyle. It is her gargoyle world. Like like an environment okay. that is created by being a gargoyle. We still don't know how. We've got a couple answers that really? allude to that as well. Um yeah, and okay, so here are my favorites, because there are a lot. I can't I can't read all of them, but I'll I'll quickly shoot through the the ones I, I think are the most interesting. Um, one, but one person said, uh, demigod. One person said it might have something to do with the goddesses from the crones story. Um, yeah. And then one person said something related to both what her mother is and her elemental magic. Uh, most people are saying related to her mom, one of Grace's powers predicting the future. And then uh, another person kind of went with the same point where they said, that the, um, what was the, the blacksmith 
the yeah. the giant, he had he had mentioned something about it as well. Did he? We're gonna need to reread Covet. She. They said the giant said something about how her mother wasn't human. I think that's the string of her mother. So most people are actually saying either that it is rooting her back to her ancestors in some way or that it has to do with her parents. That's the majority I think that it's something to do with her parents because obviously the green that happened with the Jackson string might not be the blood letter. It might be her parents. Um and I do think there's something to do with being a gargoyle, but I think Hudson obviously knows, and he obviously knew before he got to that end line where he was like, I think I'm going to need to talk about her green string. Um, it's how much he knows. And it's the only secret he's kept from her. This whole time, he's never kept anything from her. He's never thought that she was too precious or too dainty or too fragile to ever know anything, to ever be able to deal with any information. He's told her everything except what this is which means it's going to be cray-cray. That's true. That's true. And how does he know? I don't know. Which is why maybe like that's what she discovered while she was in the gargoyleness with him. Um, because they had three months together where they weren't really able to do anything but experiment. So maybe, maybe yeah. she found out Talk. and was so traumatized by what she discovered that he doesn't want her to do it on her own. And maybe during that laundry scene, he obviously knew that he loved her, but she didn't know that she loved him. And he was like, I'm not going to be able to look after you during the aftermath of discovering what's everyone's on this green string if we are not solid as a couple yet. Hmm. Well, I don't, you know, I, I'm not actually leaning towards any particular theories because there are so many yeah. that are good. And I think that I'm just going to latch on to a few of my favorites. That way I will be satisfied no matter it's what the outcome is because we, yeah, there's so many good ones and I'm sure that we will discover what they are either in court or in charm. Um, I'm assuming court because it looks like they're about to tell her right at the end of Covet. But guys, this has been a long episode, so I think we will go ahead and cut it. However, you are going to want to tune in for next week's episode, we have some cool stuff that we're giving away. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll go ahead and throw those up on the screen. We're giving away an exclusive Crave theme, or Crave, 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 you can tell that we've been talking a while, Crave themed hoodie, technically Catmere Academy themed hoodie, and it has gargoyle wings on the back. It says Lou Dare's coach over the gargoyle wings, along with the purple Catmere Academy hoodie. And the front of the hoodie has the Catmere Academy logo. Um, that is an exclusive that you only be able to get via giveaways with us. We're the only ones who make it because I designed it and it will not be for sale anywhere. So the only way to get it is to win one of our giveaways. We're also going to be doing a blanket with some of the symbolism from the book covers along with the Catmere Academy logo and a notebook that matches. It has all of the symbols from the all books the goodies. as well as the 
all of the goodies. And then uh, Entangled Teen is also going to be contributing some goodies, but we're not quite sure what they would like to contribute yet. So hopefully we know by episode four. But guys, thanks so much for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and click that like button if you haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. It just lets us know that we're doing a good job. Uh, you can also hit the bell icon to be notified when we upload. You can do the same on Spotify as well. And then make sure that you're following us on your favorite podcast platform. We're on almost all of them now. We're just waiting for approval from Pandora, and I'm not quite sure if we're going to be able to swing Apple yet, uh, but we are actively trying. So guys, thanks so much for watching, and until next time, bye-bye!